Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Well, today, wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. We've been doing this for a long time now. I'm not sure how many weeks. It's a long time. We could have done it for the entire year and I would have enjoyed it and I think most of you would as well. But today we are wrapping it up, not to put away and forget forever, but today what I want to do is to look at it and see what have I actually got from this that I can constantly put into practice in my life. So get ready for that. So let me read to you from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Now, interesting how he sums up his message, isn't it? Because take out verse 28 and 29, because that's Matthew saying something there. This is how Jesus finished his message. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. The end. Not many of us finish messages like that, but that was the end of the message. And it's basically, here it is, everyone. What will you do with it? It says in our verse 29, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. What was the difference here? Jesus has this, uh, has this authority that they notice, and that word authority has contained in it the word author. And this word author is incredibly important to understand. There's a friend of my mum's who used to preach at lots of churches in the United States. And she said once she was at a church where they were singing a new worship song that had been going around lots of churches and they all went out for dinner afterwards and she said to the worship leader, I love that song. You should chat to my worship leader because uh, he knows how it's meant to go. And the guy said, I wrote it. And sometimes we're a bit like that with God. He is actually the author. He is the creator of you and he knows how you flourish best. He actually knows the dreams and desires of your heart. And the interesting thing in this story is that you have two houses. It's written very similarly in with each house. Each house has a builder. And if you saw those houses before a storm came, they would probably look identical. This is the strange thing about it. You may see your life that may look identical to someone else's, but when the storm comes, one house stays and one house goes. It doesn't say that the house itself wasn't good. It was only the foundation upon which it was built. That is the only thing that makes the difference the foundation upon which it is built. Sometimes you can look at people's lives and think, well, they don't know God and they seem to be doing really, really well. But the difference is the foundation upon which it is built. And Jesus is saying this not as a moral thing. He's not saying if you build it on the foundation, you're morally a firm foundation, you're morally superior to someone else because the firm foundation is not you. The firm foundation is Jesus. He's saying if you build it on the firm foundation, That foundation, which is him and his words, will hold you fast when you go through trials and storms. So the house looks the same to begin with. It's what the foundations are built on. It's not even the foundations. They may both be built out of the same material. It's what they're built on that makes all the difference. And so here we have a message coming from the author of life, 
not just the author of your body, the author of life itself. And what he is saying to us is, I'm giving you these words so that you may flourish in life. And you can choose. And the choice is incredibly important in this as well, because you all get to build your own life and you all get to choose which foundation you build it on. And it's truly up to you. That's why Jesus finishes there. Two options, build on my words or don't. But you have this responsibility, a gift that's been given into your hands called life. It's a gift that's been given into your hands and he wants you to to flourish in life. That's why he came to dwell among us. At the beginning of John, it says that in the beginning was the Word, who was Jesus, and the Word was God and the Word was with God. So in the beginning, Jesus was with God. But then it goes on to say, and the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. So he comes in this beautiful habitation of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where everything is perfect. And then he comes to be with us, to create this relationship with us so that we could flourish in life just as they flourish. And we're going to be doing John soon. So I don't want to unpack that yet, but it's incredibly important to understand. He said, Jesus prays in John 17 that we would be one just as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. So he came that we may flourish just as he flourishes. And so then he invites you to be his follower, to be his disciple. So a disciple is not just someone who says, I'm a Christian and goes to church on Sunday. It says, I want to be exactly like him. I want to learn from him and be like him. So a disciple is a committed follower of Jesus. And remember, it's a follower of Jesus. It's not just someone who says, I'm a Christian. It's actually a follower of Jesus or a potential committed follower, one who is thinking of leaving the crowd to follow Jesus because Jesus' disciples weren't all totally in understanding of who he was when they started following him. When he went to, say, the fishermen and the tax collector, he said, follow me, and they got up and they followed him. But as you read through the scriptures, you discover it's way into the book that you actually that they actually say, oh, you're the son of God. So you can start following Jesus before you're convinced about who he is. You just start putting it into practice and seeing what happens. That's an incredibly important thing to understand when you're sharing about Jesus with other people, to understand that Jesus didn't call his disciples and say, but before you follow me, tick these boxes. Do you believe I was born of a virgin? Do you believe I'm son of God? Do you believe I'm going to die on the cross and pay the price for his? He didn't ask them to tick those boxes. He just said, come on this journey and follow me. And he's doing the same for you and he's asking you to go and do the same for other people, that they may have flourishing lives. That's his call on our life. And it begins with acknowledging your spiritual bankruptcy before God. That is the very first step. You see, sometimes, just to look at the summary of the Sermon on the Mount, sometimes we turn it into rules and we think if we do these things, it will earn our entrance into heaven. But that's not, that's not what happens. The Sermon on the Mount is not a way to earn your entrance into the kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount describes the character of a true disciple of Jesus, not the requirements to become one. You don't do to become, you do because you are. Just to get this, just to get this summary first before we go into what Jesus is saying about um, building a house on the rock of the entire Sermon on the Mount, don't turn it into a book of laws because it's not a book of laws. You, it's about your character. Now, this is an incredibly important thing to understand. I've really been, as I've been praying about this, even last night I woke up and then I dreamt about this. So I think it's really important to understand that following Jesus is not about behavior management. And sometimes we, we translate it to that. And the reason we translate it to that generally is because we're not as full of the, of the Holy Spirit as we can be. Because when we're not full of the joy of knowing Jesus, 
we try to turn things into laws and procedures. And Jesus is not telling us do these things to change your outward behavior. He's talking about your nature, your character, your nature. He actually fills you with his spirit to change your very nature. In Philippians 2, we read about Jesus where it says he had the very nature of God. And when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the aim of becoming a follower of Jesus is that you too would have the very nature of God. That's a profound thing. It's not just you having a few little rules to follow so that things go well for you. It's actually a transformation of your character and your nature that you would have the very nature of God. What a precious gift to be filled with. So lest you think that doing these things will get you entrance into the kingdom of God, these things enable you to enjoy the kingdom of God, to have the power of the kingdom of God, but not the entrance into the kingdom of God. You know, There was a man called Nicodemus who went to Jesus and says, what, what does he have to do to be saved? And Jesus said, you've got to be born again. That, word, that, that little phrase has been thrown around and laughed at a lot, but see what he's saying. He's saying, Jesus said, do you want to be alive or dead? He's saying at the moment you're spiritually dead, but if you come to me and are filled with my Holy Spirit, you will become alive with my life. He is the author of life. So we need to understand that. Otherwise, we will suddenly turn the Sermon on the Mount into a book of rules, and it's not a book of rules. It's actually if you are filled with the Spirit of God, these are the things that you do to bring this life into the world around you, into your life and into the world around you. This is, the, this is a picture of people who had the nature of God within them. They're not just rule followers. They are, had the nature of God within them. You, have some, you do some things that just purely become because you naturally have that. Like people might say to you, you're really amazingly patient. And you don't think it's amazing because it's just your nature, you know. Or you're amazingly confident and you don't think much about it because it's just your nature. Then you have other things that are just not your nature, When you have the nature of God within you, you have everything that is like God within you. And as a disciple of Jesus, you commit to becoming more like him by being living in his presence, being filled with his spirit every single day. So let's go back to this and see how we can do that to become people who are filled with that nature. There's a couple of things that you can be sure of when you read this. One is storms will come. Have you ever heard anyone ever say, well, you know, I became a Christian and storms came and what's that about? suffering came what's that about jesus actually says if you build your house here or here regardless of where it's built storms are going to come that that's a sure thing everyone is going to face a storm in their life and everyone has faced a storm in their life i'm sure you can all sit here and think of a storm you faced or are currently facing or afraid that you're about to face they come all the time they don't just come every now and then in life they come regularly there's big storms you can all think of the Pasha storm and those other storms that have hit us and we can all remember those storms. There's storms that you've had, physical, like real storms in life, and they've just passed over and you know that there was a storm. But the thing about storms is this. During a storm, like a physical storm in nature, things get dark. Yeah, you know there's a storm coming. You can be sitting even inside and suddenly you realise it's getting dark and you say, a storm is coming, particularly when it gets really dark. But you know what the dark is created by is actually vapour. The sun actually never went out. We say the sun's gone, but it hasn't gone. The sun's always there. It's a good thing to know this about about a storm, that the storm is actually vapour, which will go. No storms last forever. 
They may be rough and they may strike badly, but they go. Even the ones like Pasha Bolka is a memory now. We call it that because if you weren't a Newcastle person, that boat got washed up on Nobby's Beach and it was our claim to fame so much that we named a street after it in town now. And um, the second thing that you can notice about this, so the first thing is storms come, but the second thing is that Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does or doesn't put them into practice. So the second thing to know is that we have to put the words into practice. Sometimes we can rely on someone else. Now, it's good to go to people for prayer, but sometimes you're relying on the other person to put the words into practice in your life. You know, you think, if I go to this person, maybe I'll go to a more spiritual person and their prayers will be more effective because you're relying on someone else's faith for your own life. Jesus is saying, regardless of how old you are, how long you've known me, these words you need to put into your own life. This is an essential part of being a follower of Jesus. Yes, you go to people for prayer. They will build up your faith. They will encourage you to do this. But you need to put these words into practice in your own life. So if you're relying on someone else, when the storm comes and they're not with you, what will you do? But it's even bigger than that, why you are meant to put them into practice in your own life. It's part of being born into this kingdom that you've been born into. So you've been born into this kingdom. And because you're in a kingdom, it says in the scriptures that you're an heir in the kingdom and that you will actually reign in life. So let's think about this concept for a moment. Don't just think of being a Christian as being a nice person who does a nice life. This is a powerful life that you have been called into. So you've been called into his kingdom and you are born into it. And by being born into it, you become a son or daughter of the living God and an heir, a co-heir with Christ. Let me read it to you from Romans chapter 5, 17. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man. That's talking about Adam. So Adam fell away from God and then death reigned and it continued through the human race. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness from Jesus reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, this is profound. This is about storms as well, okay? So Adam faced a storm, did not put his faith in God, and he crumbled. You and I will continue to face storms and we choose to be like him or we choose to put our faith in Jesus and we will stand. And it's called here reign in life. Reign in life means that you will rule in life rather than the enemy or whatever forces of darkness are ruling in your life, that you will learn how to take the word of God and put it into practice and you will reign in life. And reigning in life begins in within you. So the mission statement of our church talks about building the kingdom of God within you, amongst us, and reaching out beyond. And Paul's been talking this morning about some of our reaching out beyond. But the within you is incredibly important. This is where it starts with the Sermon on the Mount, how to build the kingdom within you so that you reign in life. How are you going to do that? So let's practice. I want to get a little bit practical now to work out how to do this so that we can take this Sermon on the Mount and do something with it in our lives so that we will reign in life and we will bring his power and his glory into the world around us. So firstly, what does crumbling look like? We discussed this in our Connect group the other night. And if you've done this study, you might have done the same or you might be doing it this week. What does it look like when your life crumbles? Have you ever felt your life crumbling? I've felt my life crumbling at different times. 
It's like you've worked on something, you've built something up, you've built a relationship up, you've built something up and suddenly a storm comes and you see things crumbling before you and you can't solve it. Could be situations in your family, with your job, with your finances, with your friends, with your dreams and visions and everything starts to crumble. You know that feeling? It's not so much the external things that happen around you and people try to tell you little things that just to boost you up and they don't boost you up. Has anyone ever had anyone say something to you that was meant to be encouraging but it actually wasn't encouraging? I've had that. I had it when, uh, when one of our four children died. Someone actually said to Graham, oh, at least you've got three more. It wasn't really encouraging. It was just scrambling for something nice to say but didn't make me say, oh, that's right. It doesn't matter, does it? Got three more. You don't think like that. We scramble for something to say to make it feel all right. It doesn't always work. Inside, your life is crumbling and you feel it. And you don't feel it for someone else as much as they feel it for themselves. What I felt for myself then was that I've spent many, many years of my life, like half my life, building our family. And now it's crumbling. And I don't know how to hold it together any longer. One piece of the family has disappeared and I can't stick that piece back in and we are crumbling. If you've gone through something like that, if you've gone through through death or divorce or despair in some way or your finances have crumbled in your business or something happens, you realise you don't have any way of putting this back together. There's some things you can put back together but there's some things that you actually, you don't know what to, you can't put it back together. It's just impossible. Something's gone. And if your bank account's empty, it's empty. Can't just find money magically and pop it back in there. Things happen and they cause things like this and it's within you that I want to look at today. They cause things like hopelessness, fear, division amongst people, anxiety, despair, confusion, worry, maybe anger or depression or avoidance or making poor choices as a result of it. And everyone, everyone feels that it starts in our hearts and our minds. And you can even walk in here on Sunday with a smile on your face, but inside, that's what's going on. There's disappointments. There's people I know, you know, who I've seen over the years where they watch people have babies and they're not falling pregnant. And they come and they smile and say congratulations, but inside they feel their life is crumbling because their dreams are not happening. And all of us will have a situation like that in life where Things that you really hoped for, you really dreamed for, haven't happened and you start to crumble. And that's what it looks like. So before we look at the person who built their house on the sand and say, yes, foolish person, let's identify with that first and say we actually all understand what that's like. We all understand that in life we have had situations happen where we all start to crumble on the inside. And yet when you read the scriptures, there is incredible hope For instance, in Isaiah 40, it says, Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Or as it says in Psalm 1-3, That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither and whatever they do prospers. That's what you want to be like. So you've got this little tension. Storms come, 
All these things happen within us, but we have this hope in our living God and you are meant to reign in life within you to begin with. It happens within you to begin with. So how do you put these words of God into practice? This is uh, my practical advice now. You can do it however you like. Let me give you my practical advice. Firstly, I believe when you, um, when you come to these situations in life, you, you need to get into the Word of God and start reading till you find a verse that you feel God is, is really quickening to you or, or drawing to you, a word that is for you. So sometimes when we read the Bible, we think we've got to read it and sort of analyze it and things like that. But the, the Holy Spirit will actually speak to you when you read it. And sometimes you read a verse that you've read lots and lots of times and suddenly it will be quickened to you. It doesn't even mean it will always make sense to you, but you feel God is saying, stop and look at that verse today. And so you might just, let me just read some of the things that we've read over the last several weeks from the Sermon on the Mount. This is not everything, otherwise I'd just be reading the whole three chapters to you. It's just a brief selection. And when you read them, when I read them, you might find one verse today sticks out to you. So just let me read some of the things. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Enter through the narrow gate. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So they're just some random selections of what Jesus has been speaking about in the Sermon on the Mount. And as you read them, hopefully one of them might have stood out to you. And what do you do with the one that stands out to you? Because if we did a survey of the room, we'd probably find something there. And if you went and read the whole Sermon on the Mount, something would stand out to you. So this is what I suggest that we need to do to reign in life and take these words and put them into practice. And uh, this, is, this is how I've learned to do it over in my life. So probably 20 years ago now, I went through a time of deep depression just because of multiple circumstances, which I won't go into. And, uh, and I hit a period of really deep depression and I couldn't work out how to get through it. So um, my mum was a counsellor. I went to her bookshelf. I borrowed a book, Christian book on depression. I thought this will help me. And then it, it had uh, just sort of different grades of depression. And what I discovered is I was actually more depressed than I thought I was. <laughs> then I felt more depressed. I thought, oh, no, I'm really serious. This is a serious problem. And so um, I thought, you know, I really have based my life on the word of God and I'm crumbling at the moment and I don't have control of certain situations. So... 
if the word of God is real, I'm going to read it till I find out what God is saying to me, what I need in this situation and how can I put this into practice. So I started just to get into it to read to see what is what verse or what principle is the Holy Spirit trying to teach me to put into practice. And the very one he comes from he came from here as well as some other passages, but it comes from here where it says, Don't worry about anything, but seek the kingdom of God first. And the other passage was the one that Stu read for communion, which says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. And I really felt God saying to me, This, this is how you're going to get through this. You don't worry, you seek the kingdom first and you thank me and rejoice in everything. So then you have the tension. Okay, so yes, you've got the word of God and you know it's true and you're feeling miserable and hopeless, but God is saying, Start thanking me. And your first, my first thought is, I don't know about yours, my first thought is, I don't really want to. I don't really want to. You can be real with God, okay? But the one that I was really stumped on, this is why I'm saying you don't always have to understand the verse, is what it actually means for me personally to seek the kingdom of God first above everything. What does that actually mean? And so I'd spent a lot of time thinking about what that actually meant. What does it mean? And This is what you can do too by the power of the Holy Spirit because when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, he starts having conversations with you, asking, what does this honestly mean? And as I wrestled with that, I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me, when you don't rejoice in me, the kingdom of God is not reigning in your heart because you don't trust that I can work all these things out. And so God and I went on days and days of dialogue about what it means to seek the kingdom of God above all things. And what does it mean to seek his righteousness above all these things? And I kept asking him every day and I'd write it down in my journal. I'd go for walks and I'd write it down. And then I started thanking him for everything and thanking him that I was where I was and that he was the ruler of everything. And to begin with, nothing happened. I did it totally out of obedience because I had this desire in my heart that to prove to myself and to the powers of darkness that this word of God worked. And really the motivation was, I will not bring shame to the Lord who gave his life for me by walking around as a miserable mess. Why am I doing this to God? There has to be a way. When Jesus gave his life for me, why would I be walking around with hopelessness in my heart and my mind? Not externally, just in my heart and my mind. And that was my motivation. And so I started to put this into practice. And this, lest you think that this will happen today, it may happen today may happen today, but for me, it actually took three weeks of this every single day. And as I gradually started to thank God, I would be real with God about everything. I want to thank God. I want to thank you, Lord, and I want to rejoice because I want to be obedient to you, but I don't really mean it. And I really want you to help me mean it. And so instantly, he would help me mean it. And God and I went on this beautiful journey together, which means that our relationship grew strong because he was my comforter. He was my encourager. He was my helper. He was my rock. He taught me how to do that. He gradually lifted me up, as the psalmist says, out of the miry pit and set my feet on solid ground. He gradually lifted me up and renewed my mind and I started to see the world differently. And I I still remember very, very clearly the last day when I kept thanking him for things and I could feel myself getting lighter and lighter and one day, I was getting ready to take my kids to school and I kept thanking him for everything and it was like suddenly joy flooded my heart like nothing else. And I dropped my kids at school, came back home and as I was walking down my side path, I thought, 
All I can hear is birds singing today. Joy came into my life. It was the word of God that did that, the power of the Holy Spirit, and my decision to put the words into practice. And even I didn't have the strength to do that. Even I had to say, God, I need your strength. I need, I need you to help me want to do this. I need you to help me want to do this. And do I have the formula now? No, not at all. I've learned not to say that. I've found that when I've said to people, and I worked out how to beat depression, guess what happens the next day? I hit a rock bottom really, really quickly because I feel God saying, do not take any credit for this. It's purely the power of my word and my Holy Spirit and my presence within you that enables you to reign in life. It is not you. It's not you. Therefore, you can't do anything to it. And that's really what it means to enter into the kingdom. When you enter into the kingdom, suddenly you are reigning in life and he is reigning in your life and he is reigning in our community and he is reigning beyond and we start to bring this hope to other people. And sometimes it is hard work. But in the hard work, you are built up in faith and you remember. So if I'd just gone to someone and they just said, I'll pray for you to not be depressed and the next morning I was not depressed at all, that would be great, but I would have forgotten that by now. But God and I had to go on this big journey together. I actually had to be his disciple. That's really what a disciple is, someone who wakes up every morning and says, what's your word and how can I put it into practice? And when you do that, you start to reign in life. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying it's like this. If you take the words and you put them into practice, you will be like a person whose house is built on a rock. And when the storms come, you won't crumble. But if you don't put them into practice, when the storms come, you'll be washed away. And there's times when I felt like in my life, the chances of being washed away were high. And all I have is this precious word of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit within me and my honesty before him to say, I don't even have the ability to do this. I'm not that smart. I'm not that clever. I'm not that spiritual. I just have a God who loves me. And you do too. And I believe that's what he wants to do in each one of us, that he wants to get rid of some of the old ideas we've had of what it means to be a Christian, just meaning a nice person and being someone who actually is a disciple and takes his word with whatever is presented to you in your life and put it into practice and see what God will do in you. So I'm going to ask the team back up and I just invite you to just to take your moment and close your eyes and to know firstly that you are so precious to God, so precious that he gave his life for you. His son died on the cross to beat the powers of darkness that come to tear you down and they tear you down within you and around you and they are spiritual forces and he's come to beat them and he's come to teach you how to beat them by not trusting in yourself or your own goodness by not coming to God and counting the amazing things you've done but just coming with your spiritual bankruptcy and saying I am nothing without you. My house truly without you. I may have done a good job on the outside, but it's built on sand without you. And ask the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh with his very presence now because Christ dwells within you by his spirit and he's your best friend, your helper, your encourager. He understands your thoughts and your hearts, your dreams and desires. And it says, Jesus said these very words, if you seek my kingdom and my righteousness first, all these other things will be given to you. It's a promise. 
And so say to the Holy Spirit, what, what word is it for me today that you want me to put into practice? And please give me the strength to do it. And do I need to ask someone to pray for me to have the strength to do it? Do I need to share that with someone? But Lord, give me the strength to do it. And let me hear your voice. And let me bring glory to you by putting this into practice, by my, may I, my obedience to you purely. Let the principalities and powers of darkness and the people of this world see how amazing you are. May I not bring your name to shame. Thank you, Father. I pray, Lord, today for every one of us. Fill us afresh. Just, I pray, Father, for every person just to experience right now the beauty of your presence with us the power of your presence with us that overcomes all sin and death and darkness and anything that comes to destroy. May we experience afresh the comfort of your presence with us and the encouragement and the joy and the laughter of your presence with us that you do look at the problems of the world and laugh because you are so much greater than them. And I pray, Lord, you'll fill every heart with overflowing joy that we have a rock to stand on. You may be building a beautiful house, but may every beautiful house here, Lord, be built on that beautiful rock that doesn't move. And may we bring honour and glory to your name. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.